0: Well, as we've been talking about, we've been reading through the Bible, and if you haven't been able to keep up, that's totally fine. I think everybody who starts reading through the Bible, it takes like two or three attempts before you finally make it through the Old Testament, because it's just so hard to just, uh, it just takes time to hear what God's saying. And, And, but... Now as we're starting up the New Testament, we're starting up in Matthew, it's a great chance to jump right in. There's no expectation that everyone reads through the whole thing. We're just trying to pick it up week by week. And so wherever we're at this week, you know, feel free to just jump in. There's no need for it to be this consistent thing. Just pick up whenever you can, leave off whenever you need to, and then pick back up. But this is a great spot to jump back in because we're going to, we're finishing up this week with the Old Testament, uh, Malachi, and then starting up at the end of the week, the reading will hit Matthew. So if you just want to start reading through Matthew, that's great. Uh, What God is doing here in Malachi is we're looking at him giving these sort of uh, last words to Israel and to us through Israel as he sort of closes up this chapter Uh, of the hebrew bible uh, of the old testament and and then there's this 400 year period where no prophets arise and then it starts up this new covenant or jesus it starts up with john the baptist and jesus is ushering in now uh, a new way of us connecting with him and he's establishing his church and, and this passage talks about some of the things that are carrying through that Jesus is is sort of keeping within the what it is that he's doing as he brings us into this uh, out of a nation state and out of religion being tied to a nation and being tied to one people, and he brings it out into something that is diversified throughout the whole world as we see churches uh, in the New Testament, starting to sprout up everywhere, and, and it's sort of a uh, a blessing that comes as this Messiah that has been talked about, the salvation that God has been promising, starts to unleash in the world. And so here's where we're picking up, and again, this was written uh, 400 years prior to Jesus and John the Baptist. It says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. There are several places where it speaks of that. And the view of Jesus, John the Baptist, and the New Testament is that this is a God speaking ahead of time, 400 years, even longer, uh, before Jesus, that he was going to send someone that would prepare the way. And that was John. And the significance of that is seen in who John is and what John did. that The way that John prepared the way for Jesus or prepared the way for what it is that Jesus is doing or prepared the way for this new church or the new way to, not even the new way, but just a way in which everyone could participate in worshiping God. That that is going out in an expanded way now to everyone in the world. That's what Jesus did. And, And the way that that's prepared is through this message of John, and the message of John was a message of repentance. Uh, In other words, the way that this goes out and the way that what Jesus is doing in the church today and the way that we can connect to what Jesus is doing and connect to the church that is the bride of of Jesus or, or what Jesus is, the arm of Jesus or the body of Jesus, the way in which Jesus is reaching out and using us to connect to it, the way that that happens it's not through us getting different things right. It, he says here at the beginning, the way that it's happening is through repentance, and that's something that if you look through the Old Testament and you look through, you know, you know, it is having a godly country, a godly government, godly laws that ended up not uh, amounting to the salvation that we ended up and we need that we need it. In fact, it just ended up being failure. The the only thing that you can draw from all that is that we just need to repent. And so what Jesus is saying is, or what God's saying is Jesus is coming, that that salvation is coming. He's going to build up his church. And what this coming out of that old Testament, that what's preparing that way and how that's going to start through John is this moment in our heart when we decide when we're confronted with something that we've done wrong and our heart says, oh, okay, you're right about that. That sort of, I don't know how to describe it, mentality maybe is the best way to do it, of here's how it begins. It's when we get to that place where we can be confronted with something and told we're doing something that's causing harm. We've harmed someone. We've done something that that we're connecting to things in a bad way where we're contributing to something in a bad sense when we can be confronted with that. And instead of pushing back on it, we accept the blame. We, We accept the responsibility of that. We just accept it and say that that's true. Now, he doesn't say that how that's going to get fixed in terms of us. He's going to get to that. But he says, here's where it all starts is just having a heart that's able to say instead of pushing back and saying, no, I'm right, I'm good, and we're going to build on that. No, it's being built, whatever it is that Jesus is being, it's not being built on this sense that we have that I've done what's right and now that's being built upon. Instead, the good news is it's being built on that moment when we're confronted with something that, that we've done wrong or a way that we've contributed that's failed, that's resulted in people being hurt, and when we're confronted with that, and, and instead of pushing that away, we accept it. And he says, as we accept that blame, that's what Jesus is building things on. That, that's what prepares that. And then he says, then suddenly the Lord, this is a reference to Jesus, the Messiah, the, the Savior that has been, we've been reading about over and over again in every book. It says, the Savior that you're seeking— will come to his temple. Uh, the, The temple Jesus did come into the temple, but Jesus made very clear this is not what God is talking about. And from the very start, God had said, look, I've never asked you to build me a temple. We'll go that direction if that's what you want, but this is not what I've been talking about. The temple that he's been talking about, the place of us meeting him, is in our heart. And that's why throughout the Old Testament... He says, "You know, circumcision on the exterior—that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that circumcision of our heart, uh, these sacrifices that's happening in this structure of the work. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what's happening in our heart. That God's been very persistent and consistent in making it clear that the place of meeting that He chooses to have for us is not a building; it's a place." in our heart and that's why we've talked about with this covid crisis us not being able to meet in a building we might as well just take that as a blessing that god has given because in a sense it brings us to a place that that god has always been and that is much more clear that it's never ever been about being in a building or some attachment to a building or whatever it is that we think can only happen in a building It's about that connection that we have in our heart, and that connection in our heart can happen on Zoom or happen in other things that can happen, us just calling each other during the week. And now we're being forced, in a sense, to branch out on that and to focus in on that connection of the heart and to look at other ways and not to just rely on a building for that. And so when he says temple, he's not at all talking about a specific physical building or place. He's talking about a place in our heart where we're connected to each other and we're connected to him. And if we're going to have that place in our heart where we're going to connect with each other and connect with him, then it has to be a heart that when confronted with wrong is willing to say, I'm sorry, you know, I'll take your word for it. If we don't really see that connection, but but just a heart that, that's willing to meet in that place of repentance. And he says, The messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come the, the reason why we can meet at that place in our heart of repentance instead of being forced to meet in that place of here's what we've done that's right and here's how we're building our relationships with God and others based on us doing right. One, we just can't do that. And the whole Old Testament is proof of that. And our own life is proof of that. The news is proof of that. But meeting in that place of repentance, the the reason why it works is because the covenant that God has made with us is that he says, I will make that so that it does work. In other words, if something needs to happen, if there's some good action, some sort of thing that must happen, I'm going to be the one who takes care of that. So that us, for our part, is all we have to do is just go with that softened heart and just be willing to say, you know, have no fear to go there, to be able to say, I'll accept blame. There's... God's saying, I'm going to take care of it. So you're free now to just go there to that soft place. And, and you don't need to defend yourself. It doesn't even need to be right or wrong. Just go there in your heart to that place of saying, I'll, I'll take the blame. I'll take responsibility. I'll take whatever it is on myself. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He, We have cause to take that blame. But Jesus had no cause, but he still took that blame for us because the promise, the covenant that God had made is that he will make it good. And that's what he talks about next. He says, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? That that stand when he appears means I'm standing on the fact that I have nothing to fear in terms of I've done the right thing. He's saying no one's going to be able to stand on that basis. We're not going to be able to have a meeting place where we make a stand based on I've treated you right and you've treated me right. There is no place to meet on that. That that produces nothing but isolation. But we can meet on this place of repentance because he says he will be, this is Jesus, will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. In other words, he will just sort of Burn off, cleanse all the things that that would normally destroy the relationship to leave the thing that's most important, which is that love, that care, that connection that he's given us. He will sit as a refiner, a purifier of silver. And then he says he will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. The the Levites, uh, what is being said here is that Jesus is going to take with him this aspect of worship, and the way God is forming the family of God, he's going to take this idea of the Levites with him into what Jesus is creating in the church. And what what people see that very clearly as is that the Levites were uh, not given a portion in the land, and they just facilitated the worship of God, which if you look at the worship, for the most part, it began with uh, sacrifices for the forgiveness of our sins, bringing us to that place of repentance. And so he's saying there's going to be people, shepherds, leaders, and their role is to bring us into prepare our heart so that we're at that place of uh, being sort of confronted with things that need to change or things that are wrong so that we can respond to that and say, I'll, I'll take responsibility for that. And, and the Levites, they uh, received their their living or their sustenance or their they, they provided food and place to stay because people uh, in Israel would give to the Lord. And those gifts, those tithes that people gave to the Lord, God would use them to feed the Levites. And that's why in the church today we have this structure of, Like, for instance, for me, a pastor of the church, and you guys give to God. You're not giving to me or giving to the church, really. You're just giving back to Jesus, and Jesus has set it up in such a way so that myself and my family can move forward on that basis. And so he's saying he's continuing that idea. But the idea behind that is is that the leadership in the church— is connected to in a clear way that people can see that we're only eating and sustaining life because of the gifts of God that are given through other people. Like I said about this $600 to a friend, I didn't have the $600. Someone else gave the $600 for me to give to my friend, And so he set up the structure of the church so that the leadership is embedded in the middle of that. (laughs) That that we're only surviving because of money that God has given to someone else, that God has given that people have given back to him. And that you you see how that chain, that link is there. And so he he wants that to continue, that, that we are pointing to a heart that is repentant. And people, he's going to use people to lead us in that direction, and he set up a mechanism in the lives of those people and in the lives of the church for us to follow that that points us to the fact of God's giving us, that we're living and we're sustaining life off the gifts of God. We're not living and sustaining based on things that we have earned. He says... Then the Lord will have men who bring offerings and righteousness and offerings to Judah and Jerusalem, and will be acceptable, acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. He's connecting us to that. That this is Jesus is opening this up in a way that everyone can connect to it, opening it up into a global, a very diverse church. But what has stayed the same? <laughs> is that it's about bringing our hearts to repentance. And the leadership and us as a church, our role is to have our hearts in repentance and to bring other people's hearts into repentance. And one of the keys for us to feel safe enough to go there, to go ahead and and be willing to accept blame, is that we know our sustenance is being given to us as a gift. That what it is that we want is not at all dependent on what we've earned, and so we don't need to protect that. We're free now to just go to that place of repentance because God has always been providing for us, even though that's where we've always been. Then he says so I will come and put you on trial. In other words, this is part of the good news. We need for God to put us on trial. We need for God to connect, convict our hearts. Part of why we come on Sunday is not to just hear words of like, oh, yeah, I knew that, and, and to feel good about the knowledge that we already know. The, the reason why we come and we're connecting in this type of way is so that our hearts will be convicted, so that we want God— in a sense, just start pointing some things out. Why? Because when he points things out, it's this opportunity for us to repent. It's this opportunity for us to come to a new place in our heart, a place of repentance in our heart that is conducive to us meeting with God and is conducive to us having relationships and having a family because that's in the end is what it's going to have to be built on so we should welcome when the Lord says something that this needs to change you guys haven't been doing this right you haven't been doing this right this has been bad this has been harmful to people this has been Hurting people. This is where we've erred. We want to be able to hear that because when we hear it, this is our chance. This is God giving us that place to come to repentance. And we need that a weekly reminder. We need a daily reminder of that in order to dwell here because if we don't dwell here, then we'll be in a place where we're isolated and alone. And so, what are the things that He's putting us on trial for? He says, I will be quick to testify. In other words, these are the things I'm going to very quickly and, and he's saying these things when we look at these things sorcerers uh, adulterers i mean when you look at sorcerers the first thing that everyone thinks is well thank god i'm not doing that you know he's very clear here he's saying over and over again through these two chapters whenever i say something you say well that doesn't relate to me what he wants us to hear is how does this relate to us And if you look at, like, for instance, sorcery. What's sorcery? When we read through uh, Saul, when the Spirit of God had left him, when his end was near and he was afraid, he had ruined his connection with God that was seen through Samuel. Samuel was dead already, but he was still seeking that connection. And, And so instead of repenting, and connecting with God through repentance, he he did not want to connect to God through repentance. And so he sought another way of seeking spiritual help. And so he went to a sorcerer or a medium or someone who summons up the dead, which was in reality just connecting people to demons. (laughs) What what sorcery is, is seeking some sort of spiritual help or seeking a connection with God even, (laughs) but seeking it in some way other than through repentance. And that's something that we in the church do all the time. And, and you wonder, how, how is it that uh, someone who's a leader in the church, either a pastoral or someone on a uh, Christian board or something like that, can all of a sudden just spew out so much hatefulness towards someone and judgment towards them? How is it that that can happen? Because oftentimes we haven't been connecting with Jesus because if we were connecting with Jesus, we would have been connecting through repentance. But since repentance isn't there, our attempts are really about just us connecting to something demonic, and something demonic is going to eventually just spew out hate. It doesn't take long for us to think about this, that if connecting with Jesus means connecting Through this path that's prepared through repentance, when we're not doing that, we're connecting to something else other than Jesus. When he says uh, adulterers, uh, he makes very clear the wife of one's youth. He talks about in the chapter before, he's definitely talking about spouses and us creating relationships, uh, a spousal-type relationship with someone who is not our spouse or someone who is the spouse of someone else. And, and Jesus makes it clear when we'll see, well, very early on in Matthew, we'll see that Jesus says, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that if you look at someone to lust after them, you've committed adultery in your heart already. What what Jesus is talking about here, what's being talked about here in Malachi is not just a spousal relationship, but it's the way in which God gives us a relationship with someone, and then we look over here, and we see something else, and we lust after that. We, we desire that, and what he's been talking about here is the church, and we do this all the time we, God's given us a church family, but we look at some other church and lust after some other aspect of that. And in fact, many times, uh, one of the saddest things is that that people just get in this revolving spouses scenario, but it's really about revolving churches where there just isn't ever a church that they can ever be happy with. Because We're just so caught up in this sort of lusting after what we think is happening over here or over there and wanting to see that happening and never being content with what it is that the Lord's given us at the church that he's placed us in. And for many of us here at at Tribe, we really are talking about the church of our youth, And for many of our kids, it's the church of our youth. And the Lord has given us something very special. And we should be appreciative of it and faithful to it, is what he's saying. And we shouldn't judge or think through by looking at what's happening with other churches. We should just look at what the Lord is doing with us and take joy in what the Lord is doing with us. He says, perjurers you know, making false statements. I can't go through all these and expand on them. We don't, we don't have enough time Uh, against those who defraud laborers of their wages. What, what do you defraud kind of, you get this idea that someone works and then they don't get paid. That definitely happens. I remember in my youth doing construction work for like, I think almost a month and uh, and waiting for that paycheck and the person skipped town and just never received that paycheck. And to that person's credit, they were bankrupt out of money. They just honestly didn't have the money, more than likely. But it's not just that the wording there, it means that they're receiving wages, but the wages that they're receiving, that, that through, the recei- through the mechanism of us working and having a job through that mechanism of work and receiving a pay, that through that people are feeling pressed down on it. And the best way to think of that today is that uh, people working hard and receiving a wage that is not a livable wage. And it should be easy for us to see how we connect to that. In, you know, if we have money in investments, we're probably uh, receiving money and return on companies that are paying people with a wage that is not livable. It's leaving people in a situation where they're just feeling stressed upon them. It says, who oppress widows, fatherless, deprive foreigners among you of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. What it means is decisions being made in terms of people that are in need or people that don't have Uh, aren't able to join into the protections and the mechanisms that our culture provides that should be able to join. But we're making decisions based on them joining and not based on what God has to say about it, but based on how we think it's affecting us. Uh, Our bottom line And it doesn't take much to see how that connects. But but again, he says, I, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Here's the ways that we've just been completely messing up. And it's not just us as America messing up in terms of people not being able to get a livable wage, people not being able to... Uh, you know deprive the foreigners among you of justice the fathers it's not just that we as america are failing this every country just continually fails because us as people we need to take that blame on ourselves and not just defer it off to you know this company or that company and try and pull ourselves back as though we aren't aren't connected to that or pull it back as this party or that party or this person or that person and and act as though we have no part in that he's saying Look, I'm bringing these things up because this is your opportunity to repent. There's plenty here for us to repent for. I don't have to look hard. He says, I can very quickly point out some things to us that we should be able to connect to and see that that we're a part of this, and we need to take the blame on ourselves. And he says... The problem is, is we fear if we take that blame on ourselves, that it'll mean that we're destroyed. He says, Look, the fact that you're here to begin with (laughs) means I'm not going to destroy you by by accepting the blame, by by connecting with this, because if that were the case, you would have never breathed to begin with. He says, I haven't changed the fact that I've been giving to you and blessing you, even though you've been doing these things, but by the fact that you're just not admitting to it, that, that hasn't like. Help to us that hasn't like it's not like oh if I admit to it then the wrath will come. He's saying it's you're already doing it, but I'm saving you. I'm not going to change. I'm still going to continue to bless you as I have. That that being willing to just sort of open up and just accept some blame. He's saying it's not going to result in a changed demeanor because I've already proved my demeanor that as it says about Jesus, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That that God gave us his son while we were enemies to him. And so we should have no fear in entering into that place of just being honest and being repentant. But he says, here's the problem. He says, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have not You have turned away from my decrees and have not kept it. He goes, look, this is what we talked about last year. At no point in the history of the world has anyone listened to anything that I've had to say. (laughs) It can't be about that because no one's ever done that. He says, we've always done that. And yet, if you return to me, I will return to you. And what does he describe the return to me and I will return to you? He just says, the way you return to me isn't by all of a sudden doing it all right, because that's just never happened and it's not going to happen. But if you just accept the blame, take the responsibility on yourself, I will take that as you read. Your heart then has returned to me. The rest of you is still messing up, but but your heart, there's some small place, some small avenue that has returned to me. That's what repentance is. That when God confronts us with something, it's not the totality of all that we've done that's wrong. It's just one small aspect. And when we're confronted with that, if we just accept it, that pulls our heart to return to God and He will return to us. In other words, that relationship is complete. But he says, here's the problem. He says, but you ask, how are we to return? And the wording there is very interesting. I think they should have just left it the way the literal is. It's just basically the word, what? (laughs) The problem is, every time anybody says to us, Look, you've done this to harm me. You've been participating in something, that, that you've been enjoying something, and, and you may not have realized it, but whatever the case is, it's caused harm to me. The way that you spoke to me caused harm to me. You thought that maybe you were just trying to help me out and fix all my problems, but, but you just made things worse. That, that If we were honest and, and said that, the first thing that we would say is, What? I haven't done that. I was trying to help. What? There's that when our heart is faith, Repentance is not about something that we decide what we're going to repent for. It's not something that we lead ourselves into. It's not something that, that we push forward in our lives. That's not repentance to say, oh, I'm repentant because I decided that I had done this wrong. And so I repent of it. That's not repentance repentance is about that moment when we're confronted with something and in our heart, there's this, whether we say it out loud or whatever, there's this like, Oh, what? I didn't do that. What? That's the moment. That's what repentance is. That's the opportunity that we have. That's what we should be getting every Sunday that we come to church is something that God says to us, where we hear it and it's not like, oh yeah, you know, those people, they're horrible people. I'm so glad that God's telling those people that they need to stop doing that. That's not what church is about. That's not what meeting Jesus is about. That's not what repentance is about. Repentance is about having at least one official time every week, and it should be happening every day, where we're hearing something like, man, you know you messed up. And in our heart, our response, that guttural response is, what? That's the moment that we're looking for. That's the opportunity. And unless we're dwelling up in our heart that, what? We haven't hit that moment. We haven't come to that place. Nothing's been prepared. When we're feeling that, that, what? That's the moment of turning. That, that's the moment that God's looking for. That's the moment. If we can get past that, if we can all of a sudden just say, okay, I'm going to accept that. That's what a relationship will be built on. Not just with God, but with everybody. And when God says, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you're a, a cursed with a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me, bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, I might as well just read this part too. And I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your fields, and will not drop fruit before it is ripe says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be delightful, will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. I just read that part because we're having these giant plagues of locusts that are running throughout the world. And, you know, I I started reading about it maybe five, six months ago. The only place that was talked about it is like newspapers out of Iowa or Nebraska or something like that, one of the farming states, because everyone knows it's like, it's coming. They're coming our direction. And, And... people in that farming community are, are afraid and watching closely as i mean but and we think our protection is in pesticide or this and that maybe our protection is to repent of some of the things that that we know we're being confronted with that we need to repent for but but what this passage is often brought on and uh it's a difficult passage for me to read because i'm a pastor but also because it is so misused and uh there's so much abuse to people that's being brought about by pastors speaking this of saying, look, if you give me money, give me money, give to the church right now, and here's our thing about giving money. And if you give, then the floodgates of heaven will pour out. You'll have more, you'll become rich. Here's the key to being rich, giving money to, to me and see how I'm rich. And then you'll become rich. That's not, obviously that's not what God's doing here. He has already brought up that he has this mechanism. Of us giving. But first of all, what it is that he's talking about here is he's saying, Look, you need to understand that when people come to us and say, Look, you've harmed me, or you've been a part of something, you're contributing to something, your day to day life is involved in a mechanism or a uh, societal structure that's causing me harm, or whatever it is, when we're confronted by a person and we say, What? We're always going to be able to find something that that person has also done that's wrong and try and excuse it and try and avoid and find relief from that moment of what? Instead of pushing past it and just accepting it, we sort of push back. And say, The problem is this God says, you do that to me. How can you push back to me? I'm perfect. I know exactly what's going on. I haven't done anything to harm you. There's nothing that you could point to in me. To defer from that, and yet you do the exact same thing. What he's saying is, is, you can't find refuge from that moment of what? You can't say that to me. What? I don't really see how that fits. What? Don't put that on. You can't just defer it off by talking about someone else's guilt, what may or may not, some sort of assumption or this or that or whatever, whether it's true or not, because we do that same thing to God. And he says, don't worry about all that. Just accept it. It's a safe place to be because that's where I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to meet you at that place. And whether it's right or wrong, it doesn't matter because I'm going to meet you there and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to see you through this. And what he's saying about the tithing is not at all saying that he's carrying through the Old Testament structure of tithing into the structure of the church, because that is not just giving 10%, as people sometimes say. It's a much more intricate process than just 10%. There are many different forms of 10%. Jesus makes it clear that what he's saying is, is participate, give, contribute in some sort of way, in whatever way brings you joy that you can give joyfully. And it's not just about money. He's saying, look, I'm bringing, there's something that I'm doing here with the church, uh, of bringing us together in this family that, that we should hold as precious and dear to us. And he says, and I'm, I'm bringing you and I'm bringing other people into this, to this place of repentance where our hearts will be softened to each other, where we won't push back, where we'll instead just accept the blame, and have our relationships built on that. And he says, see the value of that and contribute to it in some sort of way. That that our joy, he says, just try it out and see if it doesn't make your joy complete. Just try contributing in some sort of way. And money is maybe the easiest way, but contributing, we're just contributing by even going through the ordeal of coming onto Zoom. For this is a contribution to it. It's an easy way. We can do it however we went. Maybe contributing to it might be just saying, look, I'm just going to call someone in my church family during the week. And that may seem weird. If you're listening here, be ready for a phone call. Don't think of it as weird. And if someone calls you, pick it up and talk to them. Take some time. Talk to them. They've taken a step out to call you, reciprocate, and just Talk with that. And and granted, you're probably going to pick up if it's someone that that you haven't been having regular conversations. It may be a number that you don't recognize, so you'll have to pick it up this week. And 90% of the time, it's going to be a solicitor. That's okay. Ask that person if there's anything you can pray for them for. I don't know. I'm just saying there's lots of ways to contribute, lots of fun ways. And he's saying you'll find joy In that contribution, you'll find joy in the way that you're bringing this work of God out into our community and into the world. He says, "You have spoken arrogantly against me." I'll speed through these. The arrogantly, he's. uh, It's a good translation, but but what the word literally means is just you're holding on to something, and that what you're holding on to is causing you to be against me. What is that? He says. This is a sarcastic statement that we give to God. He's saying, here's what you say in that moment of saying, what? I haven't done anything. Instead of just accepting responsibility, here's what we put onto God and put onto the message of the gospel. It says, it's futile. This is what you're saying. It's futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? If church is about bringing us to that place of repentance, and if the leaders in the church are supposed to help confront us with things, not for the purpose of lording over us, but for the purpose of allowing us to have that moment where we sort of accept and repent and come here, whenever that's happening, the first response, what what we start to hear from people is, well, what are you saying? Our actions don't matter? Well, what are you saying? That we're just going to be beat down all the time? That there's nothing more than that? When we hear those things going out, that's that. What people dealing with it? That's a sign of something good. But what we need to let go of is this, and what we God has against us is is we're just holding on so tightly. The reason why is it we say our actions must matter? Because we're trying to create a distinction between us and someone else. We're trying to create some sort of narrative that allows us to think, I'm this good person, and those are the bad people. We're trying. We're just holding so much. The reason why we say, what? He says, the reason why we do that and we're having this moment is because we're clinging to this idea, of this desire, this joy that we want to have and being seen and feeling as though we're better than someone else. And he says, look, you just need to let go of that. And then we think, well, what if I let go of that? Then what am I just going to There will be no joy in life. I'll just be mourning The only joy in life that I could possibly have has to be a joy that's tied to being better than someone else. And you say, no, that's not the only joy in life. That's not even a great joy to have. That's a joy that leaves us alone and isolated. The joy that we want to have is the joy that comes from saying, man, I accept that. I'm sorry. And then the joy that we have as God forgives us, as God takes care of us, the joy that we have in being saved, the joy that we have in knowing that our burden is lifted off because even though we're messing things up, God's still taking care of us. We're secured in the love that God has for us, and Him being able to do that through forgiveness. And our relationships with each other in the church are about that. There's a huge joy to be had there, but you can't have there are two competing joys. One eliminates the other. And so, what he's saying is, is what prepares the way is to grab a hold of these moments when we're confronted with something. It's good for us to be, it's good for God to bring us to trial, to task on stuff. And because it's this opportunity to have that what experience and then to accept it to have some small part of just struggle through accepting it and and as we struggle through that pain of struggling through and and accepting it that's all that is 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 just the 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 sense that our heart is changing being exercised and put into a new place And, and it's forcing us to now let go of something that is a complete affront to god Because what God is doing is giving us as a gift according to his grace and mercy and forgiveness. But we're robbing him of that and saying, no, we've created ourselves. And the reason why we're lying and creating that is because we are holding on to this hope that I'll be happiest if I can somehow prove or show that I'm better than everyone else. But He says, let go of that. That's arrogant. Just let go of it, accept the blame, and know that I love you, and I care about you, and I'll meet you at that place. And you already have been there. Is All you've done is just admit it to it, and that's prepared the way for a real relationship with me. And that's what righteousness is, and that's how he ends. He says, then those who fear the Lord talked with each other. And the Lord listened and heard. On that basis, with our hearts being softened, being more than willing to take whatever blame needs to come our direction, that facilitates us to have some conversations with each other. And that's where the church is. It's not just in a building and having all those conversations on Sunday. It's throughout the week talking to each other. Take some time to talk. And the Lord is listening on those conversations. And he hears it. And he says, a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared him and honored him on the day when I acted. What we're looking for isn't tied to what we are doing or, or what we think needs to be done because, you know, we just need to repent. But what we can find hope in and joy in isn't tied to us being better than someone else. It's tied simply to whatever it is that Jesus is doing Just start looking and trying to figure out, what is Jesus doing? And how can I just stand there and take joy in what Jesus is doing? And he says, I will spare them. They're my treasured possession, just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Jesus is bringing a new distinction to the word righteousness. The distinctive quality of the righteous is those who are repentant. Those who are willing to be confronted with that, what? I, 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 and just reside in it and just wait for God to just sort of bring us to that place where we can just say, okay, I accept it, and just rest in that knowing that we can rest in that because God, we are treasured by God and God will save us and God will take care of us. And so we're free to go to that soft place. And in that soft place in our heart, that's where we can start having some real conversations with each other, talking to each other throughout the week in whatever form we can. And in whatever form we can, God will hear and God will listen and God will take joy in that as we take joy in it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for all that you're doing in our life and uh, help us to take joy in the people that you put in our life. Help us to take joy in our church. Help us to take joy in the conversations that we have with each other and all the opportunities that we have to connect in wonderful ways with the people around us. Help us to, Push through those moments, not that we push through, but to just accept it and feel safe to be able to take responsibility, to be able to take blame. And Lord, I pray that you would pull us together in a really wonderful way. We lift all this up to you in your name, Jesus. Amen.